We need some hope. Anybody need hope? You know, it's, it's, it's very easy uh, to get disappointed. Uh, there's a lot of things that come in life that are frustrating, that are disappointing, uh, trials and tribulations that come. And it, it's easy if we're not careful for us to lose hope, for us to begin even to move to despair, not even realizing it, but to, to be in a place of despair, to be in a place of hopelessness. I believe we ought to live with hope. We ought to live with expectation. We have a great promise. Amen? I think the number one reason we ought to hope is because of the God that we serve, his character. You know you can trust God? You can trust God. We, we, most of us in this room are probably familiar with the story of Job. Think of all of the things that Job went through. But think about the trust, the confidence that Job had in God. Job, who went through all the, I mean, he lost possessions, family, physical uh, attack on his body, all the things that he went through. But he never lost the perspective of the greatness, the faithfulness, and the goodness of God. He said, he is unique. I love this verse. He is unique. He stands alone. Who can make him change? Whatsoever his soul desires, this is Job speaking of God, whatsoever his soul desires, that he does. Now, you make that statement about anybody in this room, that is a very dangerous statement. Chad Hayes just does whatever he wants to do. That's dangerous. I mean, you, you could put any name in the room into that statement. It's a very dangerous statement. But when you say that about God, it's a safe statement. You know why? Because of the immutability. And he, he says that. Who, who can make him change? He, the immutability of God. The unchanging nature of God. Amen? He's good. Remember that back in the 90s? How many of y'all went to church in the 90s? God is good. See, some of y'all, I know, I can, I can hear it. God is good all the time. So we know who went to church in the 90s, right? God's character is good. So we know that we can trust him. Whatever God is doing in your life, whatever God is up to in your life, we can trust him. Even when the situations and circumstances may not look favorable. Even when things aren't moving in the direction you think they ought to be moving, we can trust God. God is working in those situations and circumstances. He's causing everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, right? We can trust him because he's good. The second reason we can trust him is because he's all-knowing. He's the God who says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and I declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. So that means if God's allowing us to go through some things, he's seeing an end that we don't see. We're limited. Our perspectives are short. Most of us can't see beyond the, the next minute. But God sees the end from the beginning. And so if God's allowing things to come to our lives, if God's allowing us to go through situations and circumstances, we don't have to despair. We can hope in our God. Amen? Somebody say hope. Don't lose hope. Amen? We need to get the wonder of hope back again. Amen? We need hope renewed 
And I, I pray that this morning that's what happens for all of us. Let's look in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. I'm going to get a drink of water here, and then we're going to break that down. Is that all right? Does that work? With a statement, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a declaration of the blessedness of God. Our God is blessed. Uh, Rachel and I, did. we had some time away. We took 48 hours with no kids and got to focus on each other on our anniversary. We went away, a long trip all the way to Indy. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't matter where you go, it's just about getting away, isn't it? Where you got some good food, some shops to walk, some places to hang out, Ikea, to remind Rachel of Europe. <laughs> we had a great time. Uh, and I forgot what point I was making. Oh, we, we went to Saks Fifth Avenue. I didn't buy anything. We walked around, and we just looked at stuff. There's some expensive stuff in there. Rachel spent, I don't know, an hour and a half maybe at the perfume counter. <laughs> I walked around. I went and looked at the suits. Have you ever seen a blessed man that can walk into Saks and buy anything that he wants? The blessedness of God is far greater than that. The blessedness of God exceeds the ability to walk in and buy what you want. The blessedness of God owns it all. God is the shop owner. God owns them all. God owns it all. That's the blessedness of our God. Amen? When it talks about us, it talks, when this word of blessed, blessed is, is in, in regard to man, it's like a man embellished with wealth. Fine suits, fine clothing. Have you ever been around somebody with money? There's a difference. When, when it refers to us, it, that, that's the picture, a man embellished with goods. But when it speaks of the blessedness of God, it is far beyond that. We cannot even begin to understand the blessedness of our God. You can never tap the resources of God. Every human being can write checks and they will eventually run out. God, when he writes checks, he is never depleted because God does not give out of a bank account. He gives out of his being. He gives out of his personhood. And he is never depleted. He is never without. Our God is a blessed God. That statement right there is a powerful, powerful statement. Blessed, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, how many of you are thankful for the abundant mercy of God? I mean, how many of you need some mercy? How many of y'all remember that, that, that game when you were a child that you used to lock hands and play, and, and you, you, whoever would say mercy, right? 
We need mercy. Like, I give up. We get so much pain. Sin locks us up, and we cry out for mercy. How many of you know that God has abundant mercy? That no matter what kind of a situation or circumstance that we get ourselves into, there's mercy. Amen? Because he never runs out. He's a God of abundant mercy. And he has begotten us. He has begotten us. That, that word means to be born again, to, be, to produce again, to be born anew. Metaphorically, it's to have one's mind changed so that he lives a new life conformed to the will of God. He has begotten us. He has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's transferred us from death to life. Amen? We, he has begotten us. He has caused us to be made anew. He has caused us to be born again. He has given us a new start. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away, and everything is new. Aren't you glad that he has begotten you? Amen? Anybody that was a wretch, anybody that was locked up in sin, anybody that Satan had you in that arm lock and you had to cry out for mercy and God has begotten you in his grace and mercy, he has saved you and made you new and given you a new life that is conformed to his will. Amen? Isn't living life for God and his will so much better than living for yourself and your own will? Misery. Misery living for ourselves. But God in his mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. We have a living hope. A living hope. And he goes on to say that, that it's, it's incorruptible, undefiled. This hope is uh, it's something that does not fade away. It's, it's a, an inheritance that's promised to us that is incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it will not pass away. All of the promises in this life will fade. Every inheritance that we can receive in this life, the IRS is going to get its cut and you will spend the rest. But there's an inheritance from heaven that will not fade away. It does not corrupt. It is, it is undefiled. It is a pure inheritance. And we have a hope for this inheritance that is a living hope. A living hope. And he goes on to explain what that means. Uh, because this living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, we, we can maintain a hope for an inheritance. How many of you, it, it, it feels like sometimes that the inheritance of God, the promise of God, the kingdom of God coming to your life is something far out there that is never going to come? Anybody can relate? How many of you have been waiting on some promises that God has, has said would manifest in your life that you haven't yet seen? Well, we can have a hope, a living hope. If God has spoken it, we can believe it because this comes, the hope that we have comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, if Jesus, if we, if we believe, if we understand that Jesus raised from the dead, and we do, and he did, then we know that we can trust in the promises of God. We have an inheritance that's coming that we don't need to despair. We can trust. We can have confidence because this inheritance is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It does not fade away. It's reserved for us in heaven. And it says that it is kept by the power of God through faith. It's kept by the power of God. We don't have to worry about this. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to preserve it. God, by his own power is keeping this thing, is preserving this thing. It's, it's stored up for us in heaven. And, and check this out. It, it, it's it's going to come. 
It's, it's, it's through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There is a day coming. All, all that we have, we get to experience God's kingdom on planet Earth as, as believers every single day. But all we have is the pledge penny of it. All we have is the down, pos- down payment of the kingdom. But in the last day, we have hope that in all, that in all of its fullness... His kingdom is coming to planet earth. No more dying. No more sickness. No more pain. No more war. That's the great hope of eternity that we have. That's the blessed hope. And all of our great hope is in eternity. So it's a way that we look at this. Have you ever been heart sick? Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever been depressed? Have you ever despaired because you, life seems so hopeless? How do we get to that place? Hope deferred makes our hearts sick, right? When we put our hope in eternal things, we will never be disappointed. Let our hopes be based in eternity. Let our hopes be based in the promises of God. Don't put your hope in temporal things. Let's hope in eternal things. These things are through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And we know that the promises of God are yes and amen. We know that we can trust Him. We know that it's going to come to pass. See, hope is not whimsical. Oh, I hope it happens. That's not the kind of hope that we're talking about. Hope is not whimsical. It is substantial. That's what Paul, or the writer, I, I always attribute Hebrews to, to Paul, most, most don't. But the writer in Hebrews chapter 11, he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. Our hope is not whimsical, it is Substantial. It is a living hope. We can be sure that the promises of God, the things that God has declared in his word are true because we have a living hope. Just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, we know that all of the promises of God are going to come to pass. Hope defined is this. In in the Bible, the the word is elpis in in the, the, the Greek, and it is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation. Again, it's not just a Oh, I, I hope this happens. No, I, I hope that this is going to happen. I have a confident expectation that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. I have a confident expectation that his word is true. I have a confident expectation in the promises of God. I have a confident expectation that his kingdom is going to come to planet Earth. It's not some whimsical wish. It is a confident expectation. Somebody said this. This this was their definition of hope. Hope is is the stubborn. I love this. Hope is the stubborn. You need to get some hope with some stubbornness. Anybody stubborn in here? Anybody anybody hard-headed? Somebody's shaking their head, and I can tell they are stubborn. Hope is the stubborn, unrelenting determination to not allow the hardships of life to downsize the bigness 
of our God. I love that. Best definition of hope ever. I absolutely love that. Hope is the stubborn, unrelenting determination to not allow the hardships of life to downsize the bigness of our God. Amen. We need to get some hope. We need to get some stubborn, unrelenting hope, an unrelenting determination. Amen. That will weather storms, that will endure hardships, that will, uh, that will uh, give us a, 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 a beacon of hope, a light shining, a light beam in, in, in a dark day. That's, that's hope. That's hope. We need to be careful that we don't lose hope. It's, it's easy. Again, we, we talked about this at the beginning of life. Things come. Disappointments come. Setbacks come. Delay comes. Right? And so we begin to get discouraged. We, we begin to despair. Don't lose hope. The sin of unbelief, and that's really what hope is. It's a belief in what God, who, who God is and what God says. The, the sin of unbelief manifests itself in our lives through hopelessness. If we get to a place of hopelessness, it means that our hearts are in a, in a state of unbelief. We've stopped believing that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Sin is the, the, the sin, I'm sorry, of unbelief is manifest in hopelessness. Wherever there is hopelessness, it means that somebody has stopped believing too soon. What situations, what circumstances, what trials, what tests have caused you to come to a place of hopelessness? What circumstances of life have caused you to despair? Anybody facing mountains? Maybe you're facing a financial mountain. Maybe, maybe it's a mountain in your health. Maybe there's a mountain in your relationship. Anybody have mountains? I was riding in the car with a great theologian named Rachel Hayes. She made this statement. Carnal Christians... Talk about mountains. But the people of God speak to the mountain. Some of us need a mind shift. Some of us need God to beget something new in us. Because we've become negative nillies. We have become naysayers. We've become doubters. We have, we have a book. I don't have a Bible up here. What a shame. Pastor should bring his Bible to the pulpit. You need to bring your Bible to church. I'll bring my Bible next Sunday. We, we have a book of promises. We have a book full of promises. And we've stopped believing them. We've moved to a place of despair. We've moved to a place of hopelessness and don't even real, realize it. But talking about mountains produces in us a hopelessness. If you're talking about mountains and all you're talking about is how big the mountain is, how, how much the debt is, what, how great the sickness is, how, how horrible the, the uh, relationship has deteriorated, uh, how unsalvageable your marriage is, how rotten your teenagers are, if all you're doing is talking about the mountain, it's pointing to a fact that you're in a place of hopelessness. 
Hopeful people don't talk about mountains. They speak to mountains. They say, mountain, move. God's up to something. God's working. God's involved in my situations and circumstances. There is a mountain indeed, but I serve serve a mountain-moving God. I serve a miracle-working God. I serve a God of promises. Amen? Somebody said, the hopelessness is the premature anticipation that God will fail to fulfill his promise. Have we lost hope? How long are we going to sing about what we haven't yet possessed? How long are we going to moan? How long are we going to complain? Complaining is the language of hopelessness. How long are we going to complain? Look at what Paul says. First Thessalonians, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. You just, let's preach a sermon on that one right there. I don't want you to be ignorant. <laughs> I don't want you to be ignorant, brother. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, these you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died, again, here, here it is, a living hope. Hope tied to the resurrection. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The word comfort there is to encourage. Amen? Let's close the door on 2023. And let's move into 2024 with a heart of comfort. With a heart of encouragement. I I love the, 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 the line in Hebrews where it says, Comfort one another, encourage one another while it is today. Today is a good day to encourage one another. Today is a good day to speak life. Some of you are facing situations and circumstances. When, when you're here, I, I, Brother David Miller, see, he's here somewhere. I know he was playing guitar a minute ago. He's going through, his, 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 one of his best friends in life, his cousin passed away today. Words of encouragement. Comfort. Teresa shared uh, with, with me by text last night. She's going through some things. Words, we need to encourage each other. We need to speak life. We need to speak hope. We need to speak the truth of God's word. We need to declare the promise. We need to rehearse the promises of God to one another. Re- look at what God has done. Remember, uh, th- th- that's what memorials are all about, remembering what God has done. And if he did it in the past, we know that he's going to do it again. We need to adopt a, a lifestyle, adopt a lifestyle of encouraging one another, speaking life to one another, uh, hope and encouragement. How critical are we of each other? How complaining are we to each other? How discouraging are we to each other with our words? May God shift in our hearts from an attitude of hopelessness to attitudes of hope. Listen, you're going through a situation, but I believe God's got you. And I'm here for you too. As long as you're going through, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm praying for you. I'm going to stand by you. And you've got a God who is on your side, who has promised he will never leave you or forsake you. May we begin to encourage one another and speak the best about each other and lift each other up and edify. Amen? 
You want to talk about gifts of the Spirit? You know what the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are? To edify one another. Right? Let everything be done to edification. What do we believe about the gifts of the Spirit? We should live and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we have two governing rules given to us in Corinthians. Let it all be done to edification and let all of it be underpinned in love. Can you imagine if we would begin to operate in the spiritual giftings that God gives us with a heart of edifying and loving our brother and sister? How strong would the church be? How unstoppable? How, what an immovable, unshakable force we would be if we would just encourage each other. When we see a brother who's kind of discouraged, his shoulders are slumping. I, I read it this morning, and I forgot even where the passage is at, but it says, I think it's in Hebrews, those of you who are strong, don't use that strength for your own benefit, but use it to encourage those who are down. Encouragement. Say encouragement. So the passage that I just read, I got off on the 18th verse there. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He's, he's talking in this, this, this passage about death. And he says, we, we need to hope. I don't want you to be ignorant. Don't sorrow like everybody else sorrows, but have hope. And he's talking to those who have died. Don't, don't despair, but hope. Hey, we are one day going to be, we have the greatest hope of all. One day, this is, that's what he's doing. He's, he's compelling them towards the hope of eternity, right? And that is a, it's a living hope, again, tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't despair. The worst thing that could happen to us is death. And Paul is instructing them, don't despair even in death. We have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope, and we should not despair. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story of hope. I want to give you a story of expectation. It's a story about something that I went through as a pastor where, where God spoke a word to me, and I held on to that word, and I had a great expectation. We, we pastored in, in Texas from 2006 to 2015, we pastored a church. We started it in our living room and uh, pastored there for, for nine years. And in about year seven, there, there came an opportunity for us to merge with another church. Their pastor died. Their pastor died. And they called us up and said, hey, uh, we, we've, we've heard about you guys. And we were wondering if you would be interested in, in joining with us, worshiping together. And uh, we, we need a, a pastor. This was a, a group of older folks, uh, about my age now. <laughs> No, they were actually older. They were, they were, most of these folks were in their 70s. They said, we're, look, we're looking for a young couple. We know about you, and we, we think that maybe God is doing something here. And so they invited us. We spent about three months, and, and we ended up after that time uh, merging with this group. We were uh, still a, a church. At this point, we were meeting in a, a bowling alley. Anybody ever had a church in a bowling alley? We were meeting in a bowling alley. We had no building, but a group of people. They had literally almost no people. And a building. They were down to 10 people. There were 20 people when the pastor died. He was in his 80s. And when they died, there was, there was this group that wanted to take control of the church. So they, they, they had this little thing, and 10 of them left. So there were 10 people left. So very few people in a building, and we were a bunch of people without a building. So we ended up merging with these folks, and we moved into their building. It was a great, it was an old, probably about 30, 35 year old metal building. And it, it had not been touched since the day that they built it. It had this, the same carpet, 35 years old. In fact, I think we've got some pictures. 
There's, there's a piece of that carpet under the old stage that we pulled up. This was our, our sanctuary there, so in Wimberley, Texas. And that was the building. So that's actually, um, that picture I believe we took on um, August 31st, 2014. That Sunday, it was August 31st, 2014, was a Sunday. And after we, we uh, had our prayer time at the end of our service, everybody stuck around. We had lunch, and then everybody stuck around until about 11 o'clock that night. And we went from having, actually, that's not even the full demo job because the ceiling's still up. We actually ripped the ceiling out of that building. We pulled everything down. So, and th- this is actually, so the, the, the month that we, we joined with this group of people, that paneling there that's on the wall, that's actually painted in that black uh, part of the backstage. We put lights on that. Uh, so when we first moved in there, we painted all the paneling. It had water stains. The ceiling tiles had water stains. We took out the stained ceiling tiles, put in new, we, it was just spent a few hundred dollars and we gave it a slight facelift. So we, we joined with this group in November of 2013. And in December of 2013, we were actually walking around this building with, it was our, leadership, our church leadership, and we were looking at the building. Some of the things, we were getting ready to put that first little coat of paint on there. And we were talking about what needed to, to be done. And it, I was standing right there in the middle of that sanctuary. There were pews and, every, and carpet down at that point. I was standing, and they, the, nothing had been painted. And I was standing right in the middle of that room right there. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, a year from now, you're going to have a brand new facility. A brand new sanctuary. This whole facility is going to be remodeled. I spoke that out to our leadership team, and they, they laughed. We had $30,000 in the bank. We're talking about a, a project that would probably be a quarter of a million to half a million dollars. We have $30,000 in the bank. They laughed. I said, no, the Holy Spirit, I knew when the Holy Spirit spoke. I, I, don't, I don't speak that out lightly. I don't, hey, the Holy Spirit told me this, unless I know that God's speaking. You're standing there, December of 2013, the Holy Spirit spoke into my spirit that you're going you're to remodel this facility a year from now. You're going to be standing in a brand new sanctuary. $30,000. How are we going to make that happen? I have no clue. The months traveled on. We made a decision in, in July. Actually, I think it was in June. We made a decision. We had a piece of property. I think, can, do we have a, I think the next picture is this property. So that's the property. Our church owned this piece of property. It was known as Prayer Mountain. So our church owned that mountain. We could do nothing with that mountain without spending a lot of money to excavate and get something flat enough to build on. So we had that piece of property. And one day, my dad was sick in the hospital in June. And we got a call. My my church secretary called me, actually. And she said, Mr. So-and-so, I forgot this guy's name. He was actually a Welshman. I remember that about him. He said, Mr. So-and-so has called us, and they're experiencing problems with Prayer Mountain because uh, there was a little parking lot. That, that right picture is actually taken in the parking lot. There was a parking lot, and all these people were pulling up in there doing all kinds of drug deals, perversion, whatever, in that little parking lot. They, they called, the secretary called and said, he's, having, he's, 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 he's fed up with it. They're, they're actually shooting fireworks off of the mountain into his backyard. It's on the back, his, his property was on the backside of that mountain. He's fed up. And, and he's asked if 
We would give him, and I'm in the, my dad's passing away at this point. He's got cancer in the last month of his life. Uh, he, he said he understands that you're at the hospital. You're not able to do a whole lot right now. He would like to know if you would give him permission to go to the property and put up some no trespassing signs so that when he calls the sheriff, the sheriff can actually enforce the law because without those signs, they can't. So I said, sure, absolutely, go ahead and do that. So about a week later, I get a phone call. I'm still at the hospital. I get a, a phone call, and it's the secretary. She says, hey, Mr. So-and-so, did, did, you, did you give Mr. So-and-so permission to put a chain across the steps at, at uh, Prayer Mountain? I said, no. Well, he has taken it upon himself to chain the mountain off and put a sign up that says, close, do not enter. The next thing I know, we're on the news in Austin, Texas. Or no, so back up, back up. Once we got that phone call, we, I, I met with our, our board, I met with our leadership, we made a decision, we're going to sell that mountain. We can't do anything with it, it's a nuisance, we're not property managers, we're, we're in the people business, we want to minister to the community that we're in, not manage property. So we put the property up for sale, and we had a group of naysayers in our leadership team. Well, we're never going to get anything for that. That was the attitude. So I said, well, let's just get a realtor and see what the realtor says. So the realtor said, hey, look, I'm gonna list, I, I'll list this for you, and I want to list it at $149,000. Oh, we'll never get that kind of money. That's ridiculous. That's, that's crazy. I think it was early July. I get a phone call, and uh, we get an offer. I think it was $69,000 we get an offer. And the one that said, oh, we'll never get that kind of money, that, that guy, he says, we got to take that. We got to take that. We got to take that. We'll never get an offer like that again. But I felt the Holy Spirit saying, no, we need to just sit and wait. I said, I don't think we should take that offer. The following week, and so my dad's still in the hospital. The following week, we end up on the news. Church hates the environment. That was the main headline. It wasn't exactly worded like that, but that was, they had this interview of all these people. This church just, they, 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 hate, they hate green. They hate everything that's good, and they hate the world. And, you know, all, that was the accusations against our church on the news, on the local news. My dad ended up passing away. And Rachel and I went, I, I left one of my suit jackets in my office. So I, we went by the office to get my suit jacket. And when we pull into the church parking lot, there's a reporter there with her cameraman setting the camera up in our parking lot. She sees me. I'm still in the car. She comes over, taps on the window, and she says, are you Reverend Hayes? Yes, I am. She said, I, I understand your father, your secretary told me your father's passed away. Would you give me just a few minutes for an interview? And Rachel looks at me and says, you don't have to do it. I said, I know I don't, but I just feel compelled to. So I went and stood out there for about four minutes. And basically said what I said a minute ago. We, we're here to serve and to be a blessing to this community. We're not good at property management. We're failing at that right now. Our neighbors are experiencing problems because of that. And so our desire is to get this property into the hands of somebody who will take care of it and allow it to be a blessing to the community. The next morning, we had multiple offers after that, that, art, that uh, piece ran in the Austin News. Multiple offers. We didn't sell it for $149,000. We sold it for $154,000. This is in, in July. I had my plans for sanctuary remodel already laid out. I had the drawings. I had the expenses. 
I was ready. So I went into the boardroom. We laid the plan for that, that remodel. And August 31st, we began that, re, that, that demolition process. By the time everybody left our church at 11 o'clock that Sunday evening, our entire sanctuary, from the carpet to the ceiling tiles, the paneling all ripped out of that building. Maybe get some pictures of what that process looked like. That's actually part of, uh, that's halfway through construction. There's, there's Jensen on the left. There's Noah with a hammer on the stage. So that's our guys tearing our church apart. Keep going. That's our, that's our old sign there. That's the front or the side of the building, actually. There's the new sign that we put up. There's the guys hoisting. I fell off of that orange ladder. <laughs> I remember that. I'm trying to get that speaker hoisted up. There's Brother Wayne Thompson. That's halfway through construction. That's halfway through construction. There's carpet going down. There's the before and the after. Who's that guy? Young buck. There's our family. We've grown a little bit. I've grown a lot. <laughs> That's, that's our crew. I, I wanted to include that. that, those are the, that and that some of them are missing. We're missing Derek and DJ and Destiny and a bunch of our crew. But that, was our, that was our team. We're actually in Colorado. They're on a ministry trip. Last, last, last picture, I think. Oh, we failed to get the one that I really wanted in there. The one that I wanted in there was actually Rachel and Stephen Tyler Flora standing on our platform on our Christmas party with a brand new fully completed one year after God spoke a year from now the sanctuary is going to be remodeled December 12th it's a Friday night of 2014 we opened the doors to our brand new sanctuary and had our Christmas party that was a hard year my dad passed, spent weeks in the hospital with my dad. We got into the remodel construction phase. We, we got shut down because we didn't have the proper uh, permitting for part of it. Had to go and provide more drawings, work with the city, struggles, working with contractors. I worked 14 hours a day. We ended up doing the, that remodel, which would have been a lot of money. That was brand new sound system, brand new, brand new lighting, brand new flooring, brand new stage, brand new walls, sheetrock, all the plumbing and electrical replaced. We spent $109,000. What's the point? I had a hope. I had a stubborn unrelenting determination. God spoke something into my spirit and I was as sure of it as I am that I'm standing here in this sanctuary on this platform today. I had that kind of confidence. This is what God has willed. This is God's intention for us as a church. And I refused, even when we didn't have the money, even when the guy was saying, uh, we'll never sell it. Even when he said, oh, we better take the money now. Even when, uh, oh, we had people, when, when the city showed up and said, you don't have the right permits, we had people in our church get upset about that. 
It wasn't easy. But I had hope. And so I kept going. I want to wrap up by talking, and I've got a whole lot more sermon here. We'll probably get to a lot of it next week. I want to to wrap up talking about the promise of God, because this is important. Dr. Van Gogh, one of my mentors, he taught me this. He said, the promises of God are the windows through which we can view his character. In other words, if, if you want to understand who God is, go look at the promises. The promise of healing in Scripture declares the fact that our God's a healer. The promise of provision speaks of this great wealth. Right? The promise of salvation, he is a savior. All of the promises in Scripture point to the character of God. They are windows through which we can view his character. I want to look at at one last story here out of the scriptures. Abraham. Do you remember when Abraham went to offer his son because God required it? No, he did that because he was a man full of hope. He had a promise from God. He had a promise from God, and so he did an unusual thing. When, When you're a person of hope, you will do unusual stuff. Whatever God asks, whatever God requires. Hebrews 6.13, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, check this out, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Did you catch that? Sometimes you've got to patiently endure if you're going to obtain the promise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that next week. I'm going to make this a two-part series. For men indeed swear by the greater. They swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, to those who are going to receive the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, and in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become, a high priest, become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What's the point of this? This is another scripture that, it, talking about the promises of God, ties them to his character. We know that we can trust all of the promises of God because of his character. It says in this passage, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God made a promise to God. And then he made an oath. Or God made a promise to Abraham, and then he made an oath to Abraham. There's a difference. A promise is something that you make to, to a person between individuals. An oath is something that is sworn by a, before an authority. You go into court and you put your hand on a Bible and you swear out an oath. Right? It's supposed to be on the authority of God's word and the authority of the court that you make that oath. Right? You, you come to an altar to get married, you, you, you make your vows. 
before an authority, right? So this is what God does. And he, he makes a promise, and then he, he swears an oath to Abraham. And it says that the reason for this is that by two immutable things, these things would be sure. By a promise and an oath. And because, and, and, and I, don't, I don't have time to get into all this. I was going to talk about it. But in, in, in Matthew, Jesus says, don't make oaths. Do you know why Jesus compels us not to make oaths? Because we are mutable. Because we won't keep our commitments. He says, don't make oaths. Just let your yea be your yea. Just do what you're going, you say you're going to do. Don't go around making oaths because you're just a mutable person. But with God, it's completely opposite. God promises, and he's not a man that he should lie. And he makes oaths, and the Bible says because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. There's no higher authority. So when he made the oath to Abraham, he swore by himself. Look at it. It's, it's in, in uh, Genesis chapter 22. Verse 16, he says, by myself, he's speaking to Abraham, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son. Because of Abraham's faith, God makes this oath to him. Here's the oath. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants. And as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is by the shore, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemy. That's the promise that God made to Abraham. It's come to pass in great measure. It's still coming to pass, and one day we will know the completion of that promise. Man, there's a reason we call him Father Abraham. It's because he, he offered his own son in faith to the command of God. And in response to that, God made a promise to him in blessing, I will blessing. I, I will bless, and in multiplying, I will multiply you. That's why today he's called Father Abraham, because of the promises of God. You see, anything that we receive, let, let's stand together. Anything that we receive, we need to understand this. Anything that we receive from God has absolutely nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with his character. We are mutable. We don't deserve favor. We don't deserve blessing. We don't deserve grace. Because we are mutable. Look at your neighbor and say, you are absolutely mutable. Ladies, you know I'm telling the truth about your husband. He's done changed his mind seven times this week. And husbands, your wife has changed her mind and her mood seven times today. Why? Because we are mutable creatures. But God is immutable. He does not change. And because he does not change, because he is steadfast, because his character is true, we know that we can trust his promises. Amen? We have hope. We have hope. I want to read, and I'm going to give this to you in, in my next message the last part of this uh, message that I prepared today, I didn't get to it, but I, I want to wrap up, and we're going to take communion together, but I want to wrap up 
by pronouncing this proclamation that Paul pronounces over the Romans. It's in Romans chapter 15. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Church, we need to get our hopes up. I want to speak this over our church in hope and confident expectation that our, our hopes as a church are going to rise. Let me, let me read this and proclaim this over us as a church. Romans 15 and 13. May the God of all hope fill you, fill you, furnish you, fill you to overflow with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope, he's not the God who has hope, he is the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace through believing Believe it. Believe the promises of God. Believe the word of God. We'll get to that next, next message. Through believing. That you may be filled. That you may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Father God, in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would fill us with hope. Father, lift our expectations. Gentlemen, I just ask that you would move to prepare to serve us. Lift our expectations. You have not left us. You have not forsaken us. Every word, every promise is true. The promises of God are yes and amen. They are settled forever. Because they're they're not based on the idle words of men but they're based in the eternal word of God. Father, I thank you that we can trust you. Lord, our hope and our confidence is 100% in you. It's based in the truth, the reality of your resurrection If you raised Jesus from the dead, and you did, we know that we can believe every promise of your word. So, Father, we thank you, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask these gentlemen to go ahead and move through the congregation. Go ahead and receive the elements, and we're going to to take these together here in just a minute. Hear hear these words. Jesus said that these would recall our memory to his death upon the cross. And every time that we take this, we should think of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if he hadn't died, we would all be worthy of death. 
we'd all reap those wages. But because of his broken body, because of his shed blood, our sins are forgiven. But that's not the whole of the story. Jesus, Jesus makes this statement to his disciples while he's teaching them about communion. He says, the next time that we take this together, we'll be in my kingdom. And I, th- I think, I hope for us as a church that we would all not only be mindful of the death of Christ, but with the understanding that we have a living hope and he didn't just die, but he resurrected. I, I pray that today we would look forward with hope. Norman, can, can you come this way? I pray that when we take communion today, we would look forward with the expectation, the words of Jesus, the next time we take this together, we'll be in my kingdom. I want us especially, yes, we remember the death of Christ. But I want us especially today to look forward to that time when we will sit down at the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb, And we'll eat this dinner, eat this supper. The bread and the fruit of the vine with Christ. Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body. Broken for you. If you would, take the bread. took the cup said the fruit of the vine the blood blood of the new covenant take the fruit of the vine Father we do we look forward to the day when we take this with you Father I thank you for your broken body The veil has been torn. The way has been made. We all are partakers of the kingdom of God. We look forward with great expectation. We say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bring your kingdom to this planet in all of its fullness. May we experience the fulfillment of your kingdom. It is our great hope. It is our great expectation. It's the desire of our heart. Father, may that anchor us. We have this hope, an anchor for our souls. Lord, I pray that we would all be anchored in hope and that we would not be easily moved. Situations and circumstances, distractions, disappointments. Father, make us a people who are steadfast and immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord until the day when we sit down at that table. Father, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you, but if you need prayer for anything, if you are not saved, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's about a relationship with him. It's the one thing that God desires above all.
is that the relationship with you would be unbroken. If you don't know the Lord, if you need healing in your body, if you've got any situation or circumstance that you would like us to pray with you about, please come forward. God bless each and every one of you. We, we bless each and every one of you as you go. We declare that 2024 is going to be a great year of harvest and of seeing God's kingdom come here on earth. God bless you.